Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic Indie Creator interview. It's your Caper Sarah Code, and we're keeping it geekly with our two returning guests, David Taylor and Claire Napier. We're here to break down Wild Nature 1 through 3, the complete graphic novel and hardback, which is going live on Kickstarter May 13th. David, Claire, welcome to the stream. How have you guys been since the last time you've been on? Great, great. Yeah, very busy. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have not been busy um, because, as we mentioned just a minute ago, um, my campaign was on Zoop rather than Kickstarter, and I picked the uh, they do all the fulfillment tier. So I've handed over my files. I don't have to do a thing. David has chosen the hard way. He's sticking with Kickstarter. He's doing it all himself. <laughs> so. Uh, so sucks to be you, Claire. Let me ask you though: uh, Have you done like Kickstarters previously? Um, I was involved in one, which was really hard and had a lot of problems. Um, and I learned a lot, mainly things that I can't do, um, which is why I went with Zoop. Um, I have a very, very bad time uh, with the like administrative posting scheduling my adhd does not vibe with that i, I just i can't can't do it and relying on myself to get it done is foolish so i i really wasn't gonna i think i probably mentioned this before but i really wasn't gonna do another crowdfunder until you asked me to i'm not bold like david i'm i'm, I'm not brave i had asked because uh hearing your experience on zoop i mean it just sounds like uh two different like parallels and it's awesome to hear that they've kind of just like took the wheel and and helped out with a lot of what you struggled with would you say like you know the next time you're going to go with zoop for the next crowdfunding uh, campaign you do well i mean probably yeah I, it, they haven't finished fulfillment yet so they could mess it all up like i, I don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> fingers crossed fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> but as long as they perform yeah probably yeah and congratulations on the successful campaign as well. Uh, always, always love to see uh, creators, you know, fulfill their dreams and their passion, and and start to, you know, see, get that out in the world. When can we expect fulfillment uh, to to be fully completed? Do you have a any sort of roadmap for that? Um, I don't actually. Um, I just asked them if it was likely to be done by the middle of this month because that was what they guessed, like the projection, um, and they said probably not. So <laughs> I don't really know. Um, but thank you for the congratulations. Uh, obviously, down to my appearance on your show. Um, no, I when I know, I will um, make sure everyone who needs to know is updated. But I, I have no info. No, no, no worries, no worries at all. And David, we had you on the show as well to talk about Wild Nature. You know, how have you been since the last time you've been on? A little bit shorter, you know, three forty-one, so not quite as long, but still, man. Uh, you, you said you the last time you went to a con. How was that experience for you? Great. Um, it was in Edinburgh. It was in a car park. So the first time I've done a comic convention in an underground car park. So all sorts of new bonuses being pushed. But it was amazing. Met so many great people. And like, it's one of those, all I've been doing really since the beginning of the year is working on finishing World Nature 3. And like, it doesn't exist in the world outside of like, if I share pages with Claire or if I'm showing it to one of my friends or whatever. So when people start picking up the previous books and talking about them, it's just lovely. It's like, okay, this does exist in the world and people do want to read it. Um, it's quite easy to forget that when you're working yourself, you're going, oh no, no one's going to want to see this. And then some people say, oh my God, I love it. I want more of that. Mm -hmm. So that was great. It's a great little boost just before the campaign goes live. But yeah, I've just been really, really busy. It's been really good. I've been loving finishing the book. Just so much to get through. Um, it's gigantic. It's like 128 pages of story. Um, 
and that's the that's part three i think the last two in total about 150 pages so it's an absolute monster of a book um yeah so i've just been really busy and just focusing on trying to get that done and then keeping up a few things and you know like claire was saying i was really happy to see your campaign did so well um because you'd, you'd sent me one of your previous books i think you'd done it was the the pocket chiller series yeah which was which was brilliant and I just loved it. So I've been really looking forward to this as well. And it's always nice to see the people that you're working with and that have been an influence on you having success on their own. It's like, it's a very nice self-perpetuating cycle. of It motivates you, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just trying to pay attention, like be really grateful for the, the good stuff that's happening with the comics and, and then just learning from other people who are doing really well as, you know, as well as that, because it gives me ideas for what I can do and how I can reach out to different people. David is very, very good at conventions. He's always there. He's always got his table out, got these lovely banners, lovely setups, he's got levels. It all looks perfect. Talking to people, people come back. He builds fans. They come back again. It's great. Very, very slick. <laughs> we have worked. My, my other half, who's also called Claire, but without an eye. Um, we, um, my first convention was like a couple of years ago. It was in Thought Bubble and Harrogate. And the first day was terrible. It just went so badly. <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I stole the thing. It was just, I think one person bought something. He was a Kickstarter backer. Mm-hmm. He just ate on the books he didn't have. And that was the only person that came up. Um, and like, and, and, and Claire was like, how about we do this? And we came up with a few tactics and everything's, I've learned a lot from her. She's just really smart and so many great ideas for things. And really since that has been, listen, every convention is learning a bit more, like how can we have better conversations or, how can we bring people to the table? But the biggest thing is that how do we be sure people have a really great experience talking to us? Um, it's not even about the books a lot of the times. That how can we just make them enjoy being at the table? Mm-hmm. And at the very least, you'll have a good conversation. They might be interested in your work in a way they weren't before. But what we found is that those people would bring other people to the table. They'd have friends who they mentioned to, and then those people came over. And that was just a really nice thing. So yeah, we've, we've worked hard. So and I post a lot about it because it's it's such a journey every time you do one of that. And I just think I'm quite good at being extrovert, but I'm not built that way. And I find it quite difficult at the beginning of the day, like having to go and really get performing to an extent. Like, yeah. how am I going to talk if people talk to me? And then you're like, I don't know if I really want to. It's like you wouldn't do it at your house. Like going out somewhere else to do it is okay. But like, I would not want to do this like every day of my life. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not built for long-term sales, but. No, but the, 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 the conventions are just great fun. And they make the books feel real the way that... It, oh, it so you, you make the effort and it pays off. Like, it, it's really great to see because it, it is a thing that so many creators find very hard selling oneself. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. come naturally to a lot of us. But you're such a great example because it you don't like it, but you do it and it's effective. And so I think people seeing that, is going to help them too because they they'll they'll know that you don't have to love it you don't have to feel like it comes naturally just making the effort brings in the benefits you know i find it uh unique the way how you were explaining the con experience is like the keeping a geekly experience you know i have a good time talking to you guys you guys bring more people to me. You come back on the show. Uh, you keep coming back because it's a good conversation. Uh, and it's like that. It's just that cycle. It's just, it's such a beautiful cycle. And like, I, you know, for me, sometimes interviewing is so much fun. Talking is so much fun. 
but it can be daunting, you know? You can be like, okay, well, hopefully I'm not boring today. Hopefully I can hold good conversations <laughs> so they want to keep coming back. And that's always in the thought of my head. So every time when I'm like, did you guys have a good show? And everyone's like, yeah. I'm like, do they really mean that though? Are they just saying this not to hurt my feelings? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so what? Spare your feelings, Cody. You're safe. <laughs> so with uh, Wild Nature 1 through 3 coming to Kickstarter, what can we expect? I mean, what's going to be what's going to be new? You know, what's what's going to be the excitement we can expect with this? So it's the last chance to get the books in hardback. That's probably the big thing. Um, so, I mean, you know, there'll be extra content in it. So it's going to be like a 150 page book hardback. Really, it's full color. The, the people that do the printing for us and um, Comics Printing UK do an amazing job. Absolutely beautiful books. So that's one thing. People will be able to buy the collected edition finally. So all 250 plus pages of story will be in a like, nice paperback. And then I've got some other bits and pieces. I don't have one with me. I should really skip it. I think we've got Risograph prints, which is this beautiful old style kind of layered printing technique. It's really bright, bold colors. And it's really neon, just like the book is. So that'll be another thing that'll be available the final time to get that set. And then probably it'll be my commissions. I'm going to do some more kind of letter size commissions for people. Um, I kind of enjoy doing them. And then people also have the chance to pay to be part of the book. Oh, that's so, so cool. There's a, there's a couple of moments in the book where I can draw them in. Um, one of the other kind of creators that works with Claire, Colin Devonshire, he paid for Wild Nature 2. He's in one of the adverts, um, getting his arm broken by rabbit. So <laughs> things like that. I mean, people, they can pay to be in the book. They might nicely choose what I do to them in the book, but it will never be too awful. But that's a, that's a fun thing. So there'll be lots of stuff like that and the chance to get my previous books as well. And don't forget, David, cathartic emotions, all of the climax, all of the finale. Tell <laughs> the story, man. Yeah, let's hear a little oh, bit about yeah. what uh, Wild Nature's about. Sure, sorry. That's because I wasn't in convention mode for a second. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in campaign mode. Like, what am I saying? Yes, it's oh, like zip, zip the, the skin suit off, and yeah. he's like, all right, let's chat now. So, I've got this bomber jacket, which has got dragons on it, and that's my wild nature jacket. So I'm not wearing that. That's what's gone wrong. Um, that's a real thing. It's a, there's the photo that's on my, I think you put on the advert for this, is that jacket. Anyway, so wild nature, um, it's like a man in the running man meets the Hunger Games. So it's a dystopian death sport set in the future of Miami where the killers wear animal masks. And basically you can get out alive, whatever you try and do. Swan, um, who's the main character in the book, he was the greatest of all time, but he's trying to retire and the sport doesn't want to let him go. In the middle of all this, he's like trying to move on. The sport's trying to pull him back in and no one believes he can change, not his friends, not his fans. But there's one person who does, Alice, and she blames Swan for the death of her brother. So you've got this really complicated relationship between two people that starts with someone looking for revenge and then turns into a really complicated friendship. And at the same time, you've also got all the kind of big, bold action that you might see in like classic 80s movies, great 80s comics. So if you like things like, you know, Frank Miller, if you like American Flag, 2000 AD, kind of Judge Dredd, it's a lot of that sort of stuff going on, but also kind of lots of complex character dynamics. I like really playing with how people feel about themselves and exploring that and how the relationships and a lot of stuff about kind of masculinity and about family and grief and loss. So all these things in a book with lots of people punching with animal masks on. I love friendship between men. We've got friendship between, between men. men and women. We've got childhood trauma. We've got sibling grief. Mm. We've got skull 
jewelry yeah, given yeah, as friendship yeah. important a little friendship a little gifts. pow 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 you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> jackets um one of the characters jack is always exceptionally well dressed um very 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 focused on his shoes though that's a big thing that kind of keeps coming out yeah it's like there's there i wouldn't say there's something for everybody but if you like stuff that goes a lot deeper like claire and i were i asked claire like who she kind of saw me where she saw me sitting like in the market comics like what sort of things because i don't think about myself that way i don't really consider how my work fits in and one thing's kind of clear kind of brought was like mark miller and i wouldn't say i'm a massive fan of his work overall but i do a lot of the same things i'm quite interested in some of the same areas but i'm much more interested in the emotional life of these characters mm-hmm. not so much like you know something horrible or kind of edge lordy i'm yes. much more interested in how can i explore what this would mean to someone to be involved in these things and how it would change you and it would change your life and then how that would affect relationships with everybody around you um and it's a much more interesting space to play and it means that the action has a lot more meaning when it does happen yeah no i I, uh say if i can just caveat that because i want to make sure that 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 it's properly presented to the, the general readership um i would say that the mark miller readership will enjoy wild nature I would not say that. Well, the Edge Lord stuff, as David said, is not there. Um, and also, perhaps the dickhead flavor <laughs> is absent. So, I love the way you put that Mark too. Miller comics will enjoy Wild Nature, but people who specifically do not enjoy or perhaps respect Mark Miller comics will also enjoy Wild Nature. It's like a blending thing. I'm going to start using that in my vocabulary. The dickhead flavor is so awesome. I've never heard that before, and I love it. I love it. David, Swan is a total badass. I don't think we had the opportunity to really dive into kind of what went into his embodiment, like his creation. I mean, he's just he's amazing at what he does. But he wants to get out. Uh, the world doesn't want to let him get out. The sport doesn't want to let him get out. The fans don't want him to go. And then there's a voice inside of his head that's like, no, you're made for this. Like, you know, what went into creating this character? I really, I, I watch a lot of really trashy action films. There's not an awful lot <laughs> kind of inner life to anybody in them. And like, so The Running Man is like a really good example of it. Of a film I really like in a lot of ways, but there's lots of... Um, there's also depth that's there that nothing, it's never explored. There's stuff about the world, the characters. And I just kept thinking that everybody just seems so glib about killing each other. There's not really much response to it. And I thought, so I started with like, well, one's kind of clear and I started working on the more detailed notes what the characters would be like. Why would you be like that? And I started thinking about like self-hate and from mm-hmm. men and how, if you are, spoiler, there's kind of this stuff around abuse in this, you know, and kind of parental abuse to an extent. Um, and I was like, what does that leave you with? You know, the stuff that happened when I was younger, not like that, but that stayed with me and that affected me and like my self-esteem and where those self-doubts would come from. And so I thought, well, how about if I just manifest it really specifically? Because someone who is, as you say, they're born to do something. They're so good at it. They've got the absolute instincts for all of it, but they don't really want to be that person. And inside you, there's just that voice. And I think everybody's got that kind of dark voice going on that's telling you you're bad at stuff. It's telling you you can't do things. Or that tells you you should do something that's really bad for you. 
Okay, that's and, the one I was thinking. I'm like, <laughs> when he's like the bad stuff, I was like, ooh, those those are my dark thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it's like going through something that's really, that's really terrible choice a lot of the time. Um, and I'm really fond of those terrible choices a lot in my life. And it's like, I had to grow out of it. I had to like kind of say to myself, I don't want to be that person. And I just thought it was a, I didn't want a narrator in the, in the story. I didn't want someone explicitly talking, but I wanted to show conflict in the way that that voice can have a character of its own and it plays in something else in the world. And it means that there's always that kind of dissonance between what the reader sees the character doing and then what you're meant to feel about it. So it should feel kind of challenging mm-hmm. that what's like, I think when we spoke first time, Cody, we were talking about like the opening is really dramatic and it's this kind of really exciting battle. And then Swan takes his mask off and he's trying to decide, is this what he wants to do? Does he want to kill this person in front of him? He's basically saying, I'm not like you. Um, and if like I'm not like you, then what am I like? You know, what is it that makes me me? Um, and I just thought that was a really interesting thing to do in the middle of all this chaos. It's powerful. This is, yeah, this is a much bigger thing going on for that person than just am I going to kill you and win the game? What am I choosing to do instead? So that Swan just kind of came out of that initial idea, and then it allows, and obviously with the title by nature as well, you can, I was able to start thinking about. Well, what could be all the different ways you express that? And how can I start showing over the course of this really long story how he does things or how he behaves that's actually who he is and that he's maybe lying to himself or he's being lied to? Uh, yeah, so it was how can I work through all those things till I, till I came to this, a kind of more satisfactory conclusion, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, a, he's been a personal journey for me to work on as well. I love it. Claire, what was uh, some of your initial thoughts when you uh, first joined as editor? Gosh, um, it's been a while now because I, I just looked at the um, the first emails that we exchanged. I actually can't find the first email, but the first invoice that I sent <laughs> to David was in January of, um, of 2020. So it's been a long time. Um, I could connect with, um, with the intentions for the story um, because I've also watched all of those those 80s trashy movies um and enjoyed them and thought the same thing is essentially like what is this guy really thinking as he Mm -hmm. blows away the goons um i did i mean my job is to be somewhat critical um i don't want to like bring all of that right in and be like here's what he was doing wrong um (laughs) so this is a tricky uh, question for me to answer diplomatically um but yeah i liked huh you're diplomatic (laughs) (laughs) david's like take off the gloves i want to hear it (laughs) well okay so the the first um the first outline um that he sent was very linear um it was very like bam 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 he goes here he goes here he goes here he goes here um and it had legs but it didn't have the same kind like because we're talking about adding psychology to um action blockbuster type stuff you need the same kind of like backstepping in the actual plot Mm-hmm. that will allow for backstepping in the mind of the character like that the the additional layers and levels and detours and um mistakes and things that you try and go wrong 
Um, so we needed to like unpeel the thematic intentions in order to more fully create the um, the plotted ones. The characters, um, there's a character document as well. They were pretty strong. Like David had a very good idea of like the kinds of people that he wants to be dealing with and the way, like the basic ways that he wanted them to interact with each other, which is good because not everybody has that immediately. Sometimes they just know what they want them to do. Um, not how they want to affect each other. Um, but we did do a lot of um, like background workshopping um, from the initial character profiles. Actually, um, I have an ebook, a workbook called Writing Better Characters, um, which several creators have told me is very useful. That is based on the questions that I wrote for David specifically for Wild Nature for the development. Oh, that's of the so characters. cool. Um, awesome. and how to like build more flesh onto their conceptual bones that would directly allow us to flesh out the plot and to, to help David know what the characters would do here and when and like how to make it more complicated and more interesting based specifically on what these characters are like. So the the form that you that the the thing is in when you read it, very, very different um to the initial outline. And it really couldn't have existed without the character work that David did, looking at what he wanted them to be like and how he wanted them to feel and and like putting in all kinds of detailed thought that doesn't actually make it onto the page. Like one of the um one of the questions was like, what is the shortest shorts that this character would wear for everyone? Um, and I don't think anyone wears shorts in Can you in picture the book. Swan in like juicy uh, hot pants though, you know, hot pink, you know? <laughs> But it's the kind of question that you need to be able to answer for yourself so that you know, like, it, it just, it gives you an inkling of what a person is like when you know the shortest they'll go, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, then you can feel what kind of response they have in this or that situation. And that can tell you where an event will go and, and so on and so on. So yeah, it was, it was a really strong developmental process actually for, for me as well as, as for David, I think. I've never had the opportunity to kind of dive into this process. So I really appreciate that because like for me, it almost feels like writers are like a dam and then an editor comes in there with and, and pokes holes in the dam to let that water flow and let that water flow <laughs> better. You know what I mean? Like editors are so crucial to the process. And thank you for like kind of shining a spotlight on that. David, what was your thoughts? You know, when you took this project and you finally got a second pair of eyes on it and you started opening up more and more. The, the reason I, I started looking for an editor was I kind of what actually Claire was saying that there, there was ideas with legs and a lot of the ideas, but I just wasn't able to kind of get to what was going to make them work or make them resonate or feel feel like something I would want to read. I was like, they were kind of okay things going on. And I kind of got stuff by accident rather than by design. Um, so when we did that process, and actually I remember the email you sent back, Claire, was I think your comment was, it's okay. Reassuring and yet somehow damning. <laughs> like, oh. The thing was, but what you said was diplomatic. Sit, sit, sitting at the table, like, uh, what, what does that mean? <laughs> but things, but it was true. She was right, and it's like how I looked at it. It's okay, and like, and that's what I didn't want it to be. I wanted it to not be okay. I wanted it to be something that either I felt like really strongly I wanted to do or not do. Um, and I just finished a book that I was I was proud of, but I wanted the next thing to be better. And I wanted like, how can I grow? So um, 
so I remember that and I remember that agreeing and everything you said to me, I remember agreeing with. Um, I'm not especially touchy about feedback like that. I think I'd rather someone just tells me. I might disagree, but I'll just ask the question, like, you know, why do you say that? Why do you think that? And then if someone can explain it to me, I'm like, okay, cool, let's see how that works and I'll give it a try, I'll figure it out. And, you know, I think I don't think as much like Claire kind of suggested that I normally didn't use or go with or figure out a way of integrating. But for me, what was great was um, it forced me out of the, the rigid path of trying to insert character into plot, which mm -hmm. is where things went wrong. Like you're so obsessed about again, or I was so obsessed about, I want these moments to happen, but those moments weren't being earned and I was having to be really convoluted just to get to them. Yeah. Um, like, you know, weird jump, not jumps in logic, but stuff that just felt like I was shoehorning because I had a cool idea. And by working through that process, though, particularly with, um, with Jack, is that he became a much more interesting character. Yeah. Um, he was pretty basic in a lot of ways. He was kind of based on Willem Dafoe and he was a bit cackling. Um, and that's really his, that was his whole gig. He was well-dressed mm -hmm. and he was cackling. And he became this much more vulnerable, um, understandable. And actually, in a lot of ways, he's, he's more sympathetic throughout the story than you first would think. Because he's, and I'm trying not to spoil anything for people who do want to read it, mm -hmm. but he's, he's got Swan's best interest in heart more than it first seems. Um, and I wouldn't have done that without this exercise, because I started thinking more about what is the relationship here? Um, what can appear like someone taking advantage actually sometimes isn't really designed that way. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. And then probably the other, what I stopped doing was I stopped thinking in terms of plot. And I thought purely in terms of how I could bring, and it was something Claire said that, how can we create situations to bring these characters together? And I then love see that. Them because of the things that make them different. And like, as soon as I had that, I never, never again struggled for any idea for what to do in the next scene ever. I would just stop and go, right, what, where do they go next as a relationship? And how will that moment come around? And one of the bigger plot turns, which I won't spoil, which is basically what kind of happens about halfway through the second volume, was purely came out of the character's motivations. And it sets up everything in the second half of the whole story. And it's one small moment that leads to this. And I remember like, I remember being really proud when I wrote it down. I was like, yeah, that feels great. And then I said, yeah, that's great. And I was like, okay, this is working. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's changing mindset. And it's, it's easy to think in plot terms um, because it can be very rigid. And a lot of the writers I do enjoy, they like working that really kind of detailed plot and stuff that goes with it. But the stories can feel a little bit dead to read. You don't get the same living, breathing element of it. But I, I generally don't know where wild nature is going when I'm writing it. I'm just thinking about, oh, this would be cool. Maybe they'll say this. Maybe this will happen. The only thing I ever had in mind that stayed all the way through was um, was a scene. Is the scene right at the end? Is the kind of the big climactic conflict? Is the only thing I knew. And when I wrote that, and when I actually when I finished kind of inking it the other week, the execution of that it means something completely different to what it would have. When I originally started it, because mm -hmm. it's much more the, the emotional stakes of what's going on for the characters and for all of them. There's nobody in the book. I think I, I hope anyway, there's no one in the book you would look at and go, I don't get why they're the way they are, or what they care about, or what's on the line for these people. And I'm so I'm really proud looking back at that. It's been a lot of work on it, but like everything that Claire and I have done together, it, it's opened my eyes about how I should approach story. But it just kind of freed me up. Um that's a very long answer to a pretty simple question, but it freed me up to stop worrying about plot. Plot will make itself obvious because you'll have these brilliant character moments 
and the character moments will give you far better plot than anything else. I mean, yeah. wow, like that just goes to show you like, cause like, I don't know, like for me, like I would think plot would be what you would start with. And like to hear like the, your reasoning why you shouldn't do that. Like it just opens your mind as to why you need an editor for your project, right? Like the importance of having an editor and someone who knows what they're doing to kind of help guide you. Real quick, we have B-Dub over on Twitch saying we getting geekly in here. And then our good friend, the moist boy uh, subscribing for 10 months. Thank you guys for that. Let's go ahead and pull up some of this art though. Cause not only do you tell a great story, you illustrate a beautiful story as well. I love these interiors. I love your style. And I think, uh, I mean, it, dude, it's an injustice not to pull up some of these interiors and take a, a, t a look at them. So right here is a beautiful shot. Who are we looking at? It's a rabbit. So Rabbit is one of the, the animals who are the team Swan used to lead in wild nature. And Rabbit is kind of based on a few people, but um, I just wanted to have like a, a genuine badass um, in the story. She was the first character I ever drew for the story. First thing I came up with, she's got a little stitch on her um, on her left eye, which has stayed through all the versions of it. And I just liked her. She's, she's Puerto Rican. Um, she's called Michelle Cotto. And like, her whole thing is like she she loves combat. She loves being involved in the thrill of the hunt and mm -hmm. really short and being competitive. And she's based on a, a boxer I love called Miguel Cotto. Very, very, very literal in a lot of ways with my designs. But he was very similar. He liked being in the heat of battle and he did all that sort of stuff. And I loved watching him when he was that active. And I thought, well, I want a really cool woman in this. I want to take inspiration with the people that I love. And then you know you got Michelle Rodriguez, who I love as well, a Mexican actress. I think she's Mexican. I can never remember. I don't remember who anybody is or where they're from anymore. Um, I was just building all these people together, and then thinking, well, how can I find something unique in that? And yeah, she's this joyful rush of a character that she's just totally in the moment with everything she wants to do. All she cares about is is having a great fight, mm -hmm. and like stuff that she puts forward. She's got the most honor of everybody in the story as well, so she really believes in doing the right thing, and you know and behaving correctly to your opponent. So great fun and like great visuals. She's been like the lead visual for the last two Kickstarter campaigns. Cause I just love how much, I love how she looks. The way that David took and, and ran with um, with my notes really shows in Rabbit, I think, because um, <laughs> that she's not like part of the primary, primary, primary cast. She's mm -hmm. like first or second ring of supporting, but her, the friendship, that he's written um, in for her and Swan is so interesting and so um, genuine. Um, it's like it, you don't get it a lot of places. You really don't get, honestly, friendship at large is not generally written as well as I, as I think that David does it. Mm -hmm. um, the Jack and Swan relationship has come out so nicely um and that's just the the main one but the, like the, the friendship with rabbit it was it's not necessary for the story like you don't have to have she could just be there to look cool mm -hmm. but but it is there and it, it it becomes integral for the emotional content of the story and for the tone of the story and the thematic um resonance of the story it I'm impressed <laughs> if I'm yeah, impressed. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, <laughs> you know, think you will be too. I think, uh, you know, building on to that, instead of just having a cool looking character, having that character mean something to the story, just adds so much, you know, layer and, and texture to that story. And I, I think, you know, crafting a friendship uh, is something that is hard to do uh, with a lot of books that I read. So that, you know, and I think the relationship that Swan and Rabbit have is, is interesting. Uh, David, you do an outstanding job with character development, man. 
Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's taking the time to think of words I want people to go. Um, you know, every event that happens to us in our lives like changes your shift you in some way or makes your perceptions different. I mean, like what you were saying there, Claire, about about friendship, like your your interactions with other people and the thing you get from them. There's lots of interesting ways of showing that. I think with Rabbit and Swan particularly, a lot of their friendship is explored almost passively. Mm -hmm. Their interactions are fairly brief, but they've got a lot of, there's a lot of meaning of the way that, you know, they respect each other. And that's the thing, and it's, it's respect. It's not, there's not yeah. like Big Brother kind of thing going on yeah. where he's like, I look, I'm gonna look after you. They're very much equals in the moments they're they're kind of in the page together. Um, and yeah, and it was it was fun writing them. And I said, she's the, she gets to be on the front cover. Um, with Eco Billing with Swan for Wild Nature 3. She's a little bit, like this is maybe a cheap comparison, but I'm gonna do it for the views. Um, she's <laughs> kind of um, the Vegeta. Okay. Like you'd think that it would be Fox, <laughs> but it's not. It's Rabbit really. The way that her story is struck, like the, as, as David said, they are quite brief interactions, her and Swan, but they turn events so nicely in like their their import and their impact it's very similar to the way that the redemption story of vegeta is structured mm -hmm. in dragon ball z um which i genuinely think is very solid storytelling that that particular arc it's done like in small little bumps small moments quite spaced out but very legible i think it's i think it's similar so was that intentional though to kind of have Fox, like readers maybe think Fox was the Vegeta and then have it be Rabbit the entire time? Um, so I have to be honest, I'm not familiar with the reference. Um, broadly, my, I think, yeah, I'm not even going to try to explain why. Uh, I just, I just am not familiar with it. But, but I get, uh, I get what Claire's, I get, no, I get what Claire's pointing to. Um, I think, so with Fox in particular, there, there's there's that thing of like who appears to be a villain or an antagonist in some way. There's a temptation to you make them more sympathetic. Do they have that moment where they turn around and whatever they realise they're ill? And I don't think that was very interesting for Fox. Um, Fox is driven by other insecurities which are never explained openly in the book. So there's more going on there. I know everybody gets to be redeemed. You know, and not everybody gets it, the arc. And I don't think if I if I end up doing another Wild Nature at some point, there might be something for him. You know, there mm -hmm. might be something I explore that character. Um, but I don't think in this story, kind of what I built, I, I wanted I wanted other characters to have those moments. I wanted those kind of moments of reckoning mm -hmm. where they came out definitely from it. But yeah, I think that's the, it's the tempting thing that the person that appears to be the, the main physical antagonist of the story would be the one where they're like, oh, I see the error of my ways. Um, and I just didn't think that was, that's not his moment. This, the story's really about Swan kind of going through that. And there's lots of other people who are having their own little arcs within it. Mm -hmm. See how original he is? What a storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> You're original. You should be proud of that. Yeah. And I, I love this interior right here. I mean, as not only the writer, but also the artist, I mean, what kind of goes into some of your, you know, creative process when you're designing a page? Um, the way I work now is like a version of it's like a version of the Marvel method, but for me, um, I write a fairly loose outline. Um, I just kind of figure out. I usually write a lot of dialogue that I then don't use. Write tons of stuff out. Figure out like what are the key things I want to happen to the characters. I don't think too much about action initially, um, and then I just start. I just start putting ideas down the page. 
and then I start writing in pencil what I think the dialogue should be for each of those moments. And if I, I work in that way, I can be much more fluid and flexible as I put lots of ideas on the page and I maybe I cut some panels out, maybe blow a few up and I find those moments that really work for me. Mm-hmm. And then the main thing I always come back to is like, what do I, what do I want the emotion to be of that page? Um, there's a lot of action in the book, but there's very little of it that is just action for the sake of it. Um, and I choose moments that are meant to feel really impactful and that should in some cases, like in this page, make you squeamish. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is awful on every level. There's an awful lot of claret on that page it's everywhere. <laughs> um, I, you know, so that I, I saved up a lot of energy to like those moments. But so I spent a lot of time in that, and then I'll think kind of carefully about what I'm going to take the reader through, how they're going to see the page, um, and then how's it going to connect from the previous into the following. So I'm just trying to get that flow all the way through. And then once I'm kind of roughly happy with it, I'll pencil maybe 20 or 30 pages for each kind of chapter block. Send it over to Claire. And then can I get those notes back? How does this hang together? Um, that makes it sound like a very tidy process because it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be a bit more back and forth. There'll be some other stuff I might come up with. And I think for, I think certainly for the volume two and three, I, pr- I remember I sent you like a, a full outline of how I saw the whole thing going. And then I started changing it once I started working on it because that, oh, that's <laughs> much more interesting. I'm going to do this instead, um, which it was. Volume one's got a scene set in Thailand which was never in the original plan, was never something I'd even thought about. I didn't have that history in place for the characters, mm-hmm. but I had a dream about Thailand, and I dreamt of this, the, kind of the neon lights and all that stuff. Never been to Thailand, it was just a matter of, I must have been watching like a movie or something. And I thought, I want to write something there. I want to set a moment in this world. And I thought, well, what happens in Thailand? And then I just went from there, built out, built out. What would it mean to the characters? Why would they be there? What would it let me talk about? Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a really comfortable process for that because it means that everything's open to me so it doesn't matter where i am on the page if i have a better idea i just scrap it because i'm the writer i don't have to worry mm-hmm. i'm going to say actually this seems to be much better i've killed pages entirely this will be a quick ramble but the original version of wild nature 3 was going to be probably 160 pages long which was just way too long it was really self-indulgent there was like a whole bunch of like it was very frank miller lots of two panels on a page um, and I looked, I thought, you know, this is ridiculous and this isn't, it's not that story. Um, so I just was brutal with myself. I went, right, I'm going to spend a weekend and I'm going to get this down to 128. And it was much better. It was much better because of it. But because I made those choices, I had that control and I have this way of working. I can just work on the fly. I can come up with new stuff. I can rewrite scenes and I can change the meaning of stuff really quickly as well. So it's a very open way of working. I'm very lucky that I can do both. Um, because I don't think this would be fun for an artist to work on with me working that way. I really, really love, I, I'm a sucker for like sound effects like this and the way like the crunch, you have it like broken up in the letters. That is so cool. Your attention to detail is just phenomenal. Like the head stomp, the the scrunch, like this is, this is beautiful, David. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm also very proud of them. If you go down, um, Bert, when he's on his knees and the Yabrot Mana, um, yeah. <laughs> I was very phonetic spelling. Um, I was like, I was like, I just, I just like that. I like the effect of it because it just made it suddenly puts you in the world in a in a different way. It's forcing you to engage with the words differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so cool. Thank you. Let's go ahead and check out some more of this too, Claire. I mean, so you, you your book. Where could people find that? Uh, the ebook that you were talking about earlier. The the workbook. Um, it's yes. on my Gumroad. 
It's just we'll a have digital to, thing. Well, I have to update the description for that to include that. That is so cool. Again, you said that uh, that came from your interaction with David. Yeah. Um, the um, I went to a cafe. Um, I, I I reread the um, the outline and the character profiles, and I just I wrote down a bunch of questions that I thought David probably hadn't asked himself. Um, to force um, that like creative looseness that um, helps, well, helps break from linearity. Um, so some of them are kind of goofy, like the shorts one, but purposefully mm-hmm. um, because it, it it doesn't only like break the tension with you know the the serious creative self like oh i should only be thinking of it like this in noble terms um but it also um it just gives you additional insight um but then that some are, are more practically based like things that will almost certainly make it into a book like um like how does this character stand when they're waiting for something um how do they talk to children is it different to how they talk to adults um, just like basic psychological persona-based um, questions that um, I encourage the creative to answer. Like, you don't have to answer every question. Um, you don't have to answer them at length. It can just be like a, an immediate response thing, or you can go really long and like put down your thoughts. Basically, there's a, a page per question. There's a big box that you can write your answer in or just think about it. Um, and then I've also got like some explanation of why we're doing it this way. Some, um, some, and after the the questions, um, basically, I take you through the theory and process of turning that, turning your answers into something useful, into something cohesive, and how to look at the resources you've given yourself and how to cut them down, how to figure out what's useful. Because not everything will be like looking at the creative process as something that has to be constantly work worthy mm-hmm. is very goofy that that's just going to make you tired and confused not everything that you think of is going to make it into the product not everything you think of is going to be good even like some of it's just going to be pointless and stupid and that's fine because then you just cut that bit off and what you're left with is your best work um, but if you don't do enough work then you're left with just the work that you've done and none of that you can't always just only do your best work you always have to do some pointless and stupid stuff that's Mm -hmm. just how things work so if you only do enough character work to get you to your first draft of your first idea then that's all you're going to be able to do you're not going to be able to go any further because you don't have anywhere further to go because you don't have anything to base that furtherness on you have to work widely not too widely don't get crazy don't get like stuck in how many second cousins someone has if that's not relevant to the themes of your work like if you're doing a story about family then sure but if you're doing a story about like a heist then probably cousins won't matter caveats obviously um Yeah, so um, I I put it all together in a a little process book and um, all feedback has been good, so. 
That's so awesome. We'll make sure to update the description for that as well, because any, any tools to help people learn is always something I love promoting. Um, and I love the idea of kind of, you know, taking your character from the outside and learning to like think like them and walk a mile in their shoe. And because and, I think that'll help you fully flesh out your, your story once you know your character, like fully diving into their mindset. That is such a unique approach to it. I'm still wondering, David, how short would Swan shorts be if he could wear short shorts? Swan famously has no sense of style. Um, so they're <laughs> incredibly short. Um, they're actually, I don't have it to hand. There is a there is a drawing of him wearing fairly short shorts when he's training. Um, I, still, I still enjoy this, but it's, it's kind of fun drawing a character who's not got any sense of style. Because um, like, you can make really odd choices, both with colour just like setup. And, it's fun. Yeah, he would have short shorts. He'd have a whole bunch of horrible things on. Um, <laughs> he frequently does. I think most of what he wears is pretty garish, um, which was a nice thing to do. It's playful. It's nice spending that time in their head. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. I could picture There's some thing- Daisy Dukes, you know? <laughs> the thing you said there, Claire, about um, if you've only got enough to work on like, to get that first draft done, and what I found through doing this process, and even like the couple of stories I've got in mind to do next... Um, by working through those ideas, but just doing stuff that doesn't feel like it's taking you anywhere initially, you start coming up with better ideas for the story. Yeah. Because things that initially are just like, oh, that's a bit of a frippery that was a waste of my time. You're actually, oh, actually, that's a really interesting idea. That's a conversation I want that person to have. And then it lets you do other things. And like the first version of your story, the first outline will be, at least in my experience of how I've written in the past, it'll be all plot, It'll be all focused on a really heavy-handed theme. And actually, the, the more complex ideas that come out from just exploring the world and the characters are much more powerful, but they're subtler. Mm-hmm. Um, and much more space to play with. So if you're worrying about, how am I going to write enough, in my case, for like a, an 120-page book, do that process and you'll be you'll be fighting to cut things out. <laughs> um, and that's, that tends to be how I work. I don't think I'm good at writing short form anyway, but... I definitely, I'm certainly not after this. <laughs> <laughs> Man, these interiors are just so gorgeous. I love this right here too. I, I never noticed until I zoomed in. You actually see uh, the wasp, like their their outline of the helmet in the, in the pupils. Like that is such a your attention to detail is just so amazing, Dave. Yeah, thank you so much. I think I need to do something to make the colors on that so it's even more obvious. But um, yeah, I mean these are the pre-color. I'm not finished coloring the pages fully. Um, but yeah, no, I love that. And I love stuff like this. It's like, it was really, because the story was able to go so wide and you get talk about that inner life thing, I was able to draw sequences that wouldn't have, wouldn't fit in the original more grounded story. Mm-hmm. That was much more level and grim and gritty, etc. This allows me to be a lot, a lot more playful and expressive with the ideas. And like most of the people, you said that obviously some of them have been combatants in well nature. There's a couple that appeared in previous parts of the story that have not done well at Swan's hands. So there's lots of little kind of cameo callbacks and potential story ideas just in how these people look. This is awesome. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to show these images. Like these interiors are gorgeous. And everyone who is watching, once again, right here is the Kickstarter going live. You said it was uh, May 13th? It's Saturday. It'll be Saturday, probably very early American time that it will go live um, around about lunchtime in the UK. Mm -hmm. But right here it is. And then what what are we looking at? Can we get some prices for maybe the digital and the physical? Like what people can expect? Yeah. So f- I'll, I'll assume people are jumping and they want to get the whole thing. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure for 
the full digital collection. I think it's £30, which will be like £34, $35. Um, it's something like that. I have to go and double check. I can't remember that one off the top of my head because I'm all focused on the print ones because that's the one that cost me a fortune. Um, so I think for that, for the complete collection in hardback, it'll be £70, which is about $78. For the paperback collected full edition, it's £30, which will be about $35, $36. Um, and I'm doing my best to keep shipping prices down, so I'm working through a few things to make that a bit easier. Um, but there's there's things available at every level. If you just want to get Heart, Wild Nature 3 itself, it's, I'll have to go and check the price on that one, but nothing's out of bounds. Um, and you get, on one of the tiers, you can get all my books in digital for something like $45. Wow. Um, is, you know, and it's, I like making digital bundles. Digital backers usually get overlooked. Um, they don't get treated as well as print backers. And I like to do the opposite because I've got some brilliant people who have backed me purely by digital. And they've sent me the nicest things and I want to make sure they always feel that they're, they're getting real value for money. That's awesome. I love it. So guys, you know, after going through this and talking about the Kickstarter, what's next for you outside of wild nature, you know, uh, for the rest of 2023, Claire, we'll, we'll start with you. Well, I, um, I'm just trying to think of what I, what I'm allowed to talk about. Um, <laughs> no, I did. I signed on to, um, a secret project just the other day. So I can't tell you about that. Um, I'm working on my next year's book, Green Snake. Um, showing a little bit of that on my Instagram every now and then. Um, but I guess most of all, I'm just carrying on. Um, lots of editing all the time. Um, I just finished notes today for uh, the next cup of uh Jude Sarson's Cafe Suada. Um, I've got some more Miskatonic High to get through. Um, and I'm enjoying my involvement with the Cartoonist Co-op, um, which I believe you had Brandon on repping yesterday. Yes, so? I need to get more of that on the show too. I was telling him, like, put some feelers out. Like anybody from that that wants to get on here and promote their work, I would love to make that happen. Super. I'll pass well, that, that is... along for sure. And you are pretty notorious too. After our interview, I started like once I like, interviewed you and I knew your name, I seen you everywhere. You are everywhere. Like uh, if I like nine times out of 10, if I interview someone, they've either talked to you about editing for them or you've been involved with the project for them. It's awesome to see your work <laughs> just so much out there, Claire. Thank you. I don't so, really, um, I don't um, keep, that, that's going to sound like, unpleasant but um i mentioned the adhd before like i don't really keep track of like how much work i'm doing so um that's kind of as funny to me as it is to anyone i, I don't expect to be found everywhere i really don't you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that too, because it's kind of like somewhat similar for me. I don't realize how many people I've talked to until someone starts bringing up names. I'm like, okay, I've had every one of those people on the show, and they're like, really? Like, <laughs> like me and Brendan I were can talking see the about number up there, three hundred and seventy-five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, David, what about you though? Twenty twenty-three. You know, we're still kind of fresh in the year. Anything outside of wild nature? Maybe maybe any more cons that you're attending? Lots of cons. Um, got the big, kind of the UK's big three. I've got Glasgow in June, and then I've got the Lakes uh, in oh, September, end of September, the Lakes Festival, which I'd be desperate to get to. And then Thought Bubble, the big one for most UK creators to get out to meet people. Um, so I'm getting those three, the few smaller ones, just to make sure I'm out and about, get a chance to meet people. 
yeah, getting well nature finished. And then the thing that's, I just grabbed it out of the box beside me. So my first, Ooh, my second. Hold on, hold on one second. Let me, we're going to zoom you in for this one. So this was my second book, um, The Grave, the first one I did on Kickstarter. It'll be its fifth anniversary next year. Um, and so in the same way that I did for Decades, which was my last Kickstarter, that was my first book, I'm doing a remastered edition of it. Um, and I'm going to tidy up the art, fix a few things that have always bothered me, um, and apply a lot of stuff that I've learned since working in Wild Nature and working with Claire. Um, so Claire, that's probably going to come your way for, for notes. Probably. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm working on that. Um, I want that to come out next year, do a nice hardback edition of it in the same way I did for decades. And then working on my next book, which is called Her Hard Boiled Heart, um, which is based on, well, it's a kind of semi-reboot of something, a couple of short stories I wrote a few years back. One of them called Her got made into a movie, which is coming out, I think, next year, um, called To a Cinder, which I'm, I've seen is really good. Um, so I wanted to do a book that brought it back to life. and. It's like it's a feminist espionage noir, Ooh. and I didn't really do it justice the original way I approached it. It's fun, but it's light as a feather, and the stuff I wanted to explore in it. It was like when I looked back, I thought there's so much more I can do here, um, and I've got all these ideas for it of this kind of big story that absorbs the original two shorts, mm -hmm. does something else with it. But I wanted to do something um, that was more focused on the women characters by nature of the stuff I've been interested in, most of the things have been focused on men um, and toxicity that comes out of it and particularly grief and trauma. And I thought, well, why not do that for women instead? That'd be a nice change. Write a happy story, Dave. They're not my gig. Yeah, so that'll be, my, that'll be my next big thing. So I'm just, as soon as Well Nature's finished, I told myself I wasn't allowed to work on it until well nature was fully fully inked because otherwise i just get distracted and i slow mm -hmm. myself down but i'm looking forward to that and i will again probably pestering claire for help on that one as well that is so awesome so you guys have both been on the show before we always ask for a little bit of advice but let's do things a little bit differently uh dave let's we'll start with you and we'll what we'll do is we'll ask um, the importance of having an editor and then we'll for claire uh i'd like to talk about um, how you could approach an editor and build a relationship, like the proper way to go about doing that. So if I answer the first bit, the importance, like, especially as you're a developing writer, is that you need that first audience and you need someone who brings a different taste to it. So ideally you want to pick someone who doesn't see the world the exact way you do. I can see from like what Claire had posted about on her Twitter and her Instagram in the past that we shared some tastes. There were some things we both enjoyed but Claire enjoyed them from a very different perspective, which I thought, that's great. That's what I need. I need someone who can ask those questions. So I say that's the first thing. You get someone who's got ideally different tastes and different attitudes or mindset about work or about the stories they enjoy and why they enjoy them. And I think the other thing, and if you pick the right editor, they're, they're like a cheerleader for you as well because mm -hmm. they push you to try something else. They push you to go further with an idea or they push you to, for me in this case, you know what? How can I use my art in different ways? How can I be bolder and how can I make different choices? You don't do that stuff on your own. Um, it's easy. Well, some people do, but very few of us do. So you want someone who kind of knocks you out of that complacency sometimes that here's a better idea. Have you thought about this line? So I would say anybody that's developing is right. There's probably a point where you get confident enough or capable enough or you're a good enough inner critic that maybe you don't need an editor the same way. But I think having one is invaluable because you're getting that first set of eyes on the story you're getting someone who's challenging it around what is this really about? What do you really want to say? 
And um, yeah, I, I just think it's invaluable when you're figuring out, you know, the story at the beginning. I would say to anybody, make sure you work with an editor at least once in your comic making career. That's awesome. Claire, what about you, though? For anyone who's looking to approach an editor, what would be the proper way to do so and build like a nice relationship from the start? Well, um, I guess the basics are just um, approach them the way that they make it clear that they are available to be approached. Um, like, I have a website. Um, I have a contact form on my website. I also have my email out there. So for me, I prefer um, if it's someone that I don't know, um, just they send me an email and set out like, I want to do this. I would like to help. Like, I don't need tons of information. There, I've got some cues for... Sorry, my screen just went. Um, I've got some cues for the kinds of stuff that would be helpful to be mm-hmm. to to be told right away um, on said website, but um, they're not necessary. I'm not very demanding because um, I know it's scary, <laughs> um, and I want people to feel comfortable um, mm-hmm. because, like, it's not only scary to approach um, a person; it's scary to be edited. Yeah. Um, so that's two scary things. So I, I want to make it as, as smooth and, um, and unscary as possible. Um, some people don't have websites. Some people, um, which I think is a mistake on their part. If you're an editor, you should have a website. People need to know how they can get to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if they don't have a website, but they do make it clear that they are in the market for clients, um, then just approach them on whatever platform they're making that clear. Um, and yeah, just, um, just be normal, as normal as possible. Um, I don't mean like you have to hit some kind of regular person formality, um, but just think to yourself, this is a person. How would I like it if someone asked me for this help and do it that way? Um, it's really it's not hard like it's not a very challenging um process it's just Mm -hmm. saying hey i i'm trying to do this i want to do it as best i can and i think that you could help me uh can you and if they can then they will and if they can't then now you know i you know and i i think uh I think just do you know hitting it from the start you know going through the proper protocol is the best route that shows you have respect for the process respect for the editor uh and that you're you're serious about this some awesome advice there from you too now we end the podcast like i was saying backstage with what you guys are consuming outside of creating so uh, david claire what are you guys reading what are you watching if you guys play video games what are you gaming on like tell us you know what you guys are doing outside of creating after you david you're the star today Thank you. Um, last comic I read that I really loved was Zoe Thorogood's It's Lonely at the Centre of the Earth, um, which is just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book, kind of autobiography, so clever. Um, I bought The Impending Bloodies of Billy Jean, oh sorry, Billy, Billy, Billy Scott. Um, thinking about the tennis player, what a bizarre comparison. <laughs> um, so I <laughs> spread that. After last, the first thought bubble I went to, loved it, and this is even better. Just absolutely beautiful storytelling. The art is amazing. It's, like, it's quite unusual to get to watch someone who's developing in their career, and they're basically brilliant right now. Mm-hmm. 
it's quite nice seeing that that you're gonna how much better you're gonna be in five years it's it's, it's just absolutely mind-blowing um the other one which i've just started reading is one of my comics buddies stephen ingram so um, an indie book called burn with me um stephen's stuff's really cool kind of quite gritty grounded but very character based um if you want to pick some of the stuff up left is my favorite of his books um so i'm looking forward to properly getting through that and then i haven't had time to watch any tv at all except for true crime <laughs> stuff which probably bad for me um but it does inspire stories so that's me what about you claire oh i've been rereading a lot of witchblade and other early top cow um because plug um i just started a podcast of my own with with tegan o'neill um congratulations thank you um where we we talk about um like the first 10 15 years of, of Top Cow because we both have an enduring interest. Um, and it's not a company that gets a lot of real critical appraisal. Um, we're fixing that. But I also, I just today read um, Sloane Lung's um, Prism Stalker 2, which isn't mm-hmm. out yet, it's out in two months. Um, but, no big uh, deal. <laughs> you can pre-order. Um, it, it's really good. It's really, really good. Uh, psychedelic, um, hardcore emotional um it's 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 pretty much all about shame and um approaching shame and figuring out who you are inside and outside of it very adept work um definite recommendation um so by the way the uh, the founder of the the cartoonist co-op um so maybe you'll be talking soon Um, you know can i say to the name of your podcast is like brilliant utter badness like that is brilliant that is perfect did you come up with that name i think it was tegan i don't remember for sure because it's definitely (laughs) something that either of us could have done yeah um i just i haven't started it yet but i just i just got this book in the post um because i have a subscription to perrin press um they send you a new translated i i don't think they're always european but they're novels novellas short novels that have been translated into english Mm -hmm. only just they're all brilliant um and having a subscription is great because it means i don't have to think about it just every three months or so i get this wonderful literature in the post and i just read it and feel expanded and marvelous and it's it's incredibly practical um and uh what was the other thing tv i just i just finished today watching a very stupid show uh (laughs) messiah Mm -hmm. absolute rubbish um kind of fun but you know it was okay and then i i started watching um what is this thing called the diplomat um which is kind of fun you know, it's all right. I like um, I like a lot of intrigue, and I like um, people taking things very seriously that are a great deal of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, I like some opera in my down to earth mystery show. Um, I keep trying to finish. I, I just started a show called Hot Skull, which is Turkish, which means I can't watch it while I'm working because I can't read it and read at the same time. It's, it's got subtitles. <laughs> um, 
which is a problem. So I, I've been having to, to supplement my diet with English language trash instead of Turkish language um, interesting cyberpunk uh, linguist fiction. What can you do? I love that. And I think it's it's so cool about the literature that's getting translated. There's so much good out there that, you know, most of us will never touch because we don't have that. We, we either don't have, you know, the means of translating it ourselves or or the, you know, buying it. And uh, I, I forgot what it is, but there's so much of the world that is untouched, like in terms of like us being able to read just because it's in a different language. Uh, like only like what, 10 or 20 percent of the world speaks English. I might be wrong on that number. I don't know, but it shouldn't be higher than that, should it? Like, it, it, it wouldn't be natural or um, ethical for for the number to be higher. Yeah, and th in that same aspect, think about this. Like, your guys' work is only touching, like, 10 or 20% of the world because the other 80%, you know, doesn't read English. So it's, like, such a crazy number to think about. But I think on that note, this would be a perfect time for us to end the podcast. Guys, if you are watching right here is the link. Let's sign up and get this to 100 pre-launch followers by today. You have until Friday before it goes live. And then time to get your wild nature on, guys. So with that being said, it has been a lovely, lovely Thursday. I hope you all have a fantastic day. But most importantly, guys, keep it geekly.